This week's episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 9th of November 2021 at home in Wicklow. And the theme of this week's episode is bridges. That's right, bridges. Bridges in the physical sense and bridges in the metaphorical sense. Uh, I speak about how I have always had a soft spot for bridges, how they've always appealed to me and I admire them as physical structures of design and engineering but I also like them because of what they represent metaphorically. They help us get somewhere else. They help us get over something difficult. They help us, yeah, they help us traverse something that we wouldn't be able to otherwise and that is very much the the nature of this week's episode and i talk about how we have bridges to many different things in our lives and how we build bridges to to transcend uh difficult experiences and trauma and things we'd rather leave behind uh i conclude this week's episode with a bit of a chat about great movie scenes set on bridges and how often they're used to illustrate key moments of the story or the plot and also can be the setting for great action sequences so that's what's coming up i'll see you there come across the bridge and join me cheers not gonna change my mind leaving the dream Hi, my name is Dara Clear, and you're listening to The Clear Out. Welcome, welcome to this day. Welcome to this moment. Just have a little, have a little check-in with yourself there. How are you? Have you asked yourself that recently? How are you? Or to yourself, how am I? Yeah, how am I? Have a little check there. See where the head's at. Where's the, uh, where's the emotional space? What's the read? What's the physical space like? How's the alignment? Not just your physical, spinal, skeletal, muscular alignment, but your psychological alignment. Don't go there. Just don't ask. I don't want to look. I don't want to know. It's easier to turn away. It's too confronting. That may be the case, but still in all, you know, just do it. Just do it. Just check in there. And the emotional. It's been an emotional roller coaster. I've been up. I've been down. I've been all around. I've even done a loop to loop. And I tell you, my stomach is still somewhere high up there. The emotional roller coaster. So are your emotions in your stomach? Is that is that what you're suggesting? Uh, I suppose so. I didn't really think that one through. Well, they certainly feel like they're in my tummy. What's a tummy? That's a bit of a childish world for the stomach. Uh, just leave me alone, will you? Um, anyway, there you go. So I want to try and keep today's episode short-ish. <laughs> Famous last words. Uh, no, I'm on the clock. Just been a busy day with um, a few tradesmen. Tradies, as the Aussies like to call them. Bloody tradies. 
yeah, had a couple of tradesmen in, electricians. I'm waiting for the plumber. A little bit of drama going on. Um, a little bit of drama going on. My mother, my mother is uh, getting some medical attention at the moment. So keeping an eye on that situation. Um, so a lot of things, a lot of distractions. So I'm on the clock. I need to go and give my dad a spin to the shops for his messages. Has to get that paper, has to get that Sudoku, has to get the tobacco. And I need to get my daughter from school as well. So just the way it's worked out, I am on the clock and I'm going to try, and, I'm going to, try to keep this to about uh, an hour or just over an hour. The last time I tried to do this, <laughs> I completely messed it up and I ended up missing my hair appointment. I was going down for my weekly hair wash and perm and I, I I was recording the podcast and I ran over and I missed my appointment and I rang the girls uh, too late. I rang them too late. I got to the salon and they were gone and I eventually got them on the phone later and they're like, we waited for you and you didn't show. Now, that's only a partially true story. In fact, I was going to call the barber and I ran over. He did wait. I didn't ring him until it was too late, uh, but he, he squeezed me in. <laughs> I'll squeeze you in, son. He squeezed me in the next morning, so I went back early and got the hair scalped. Um, and that was, that was the previous haircut. I just had a haircut last week and got scalped again, and that'll be my last one before Christmas. So uh, next one will be the Christmas cut. Very important, very important, the Christmas haircut. You want to look right for those Christmas Day photos. You want to look right, you know, when Santa tiptoes into your room and just checks you out, checks out your wife, makes sure it's all good, and then drops the prezzies at the end of the bed uh, or wherever. Yeah, so you want him to walk away going, oh, nice haircut, nice haircut. It doesn't look like his hair was cut with a ho, ho, ho. <laughs> That's brutal. That is brutal. That's... um pure pure dad joke territory as i've often said to friends who accuse me of having a penchant for dad jokes um that that i that that's true i'm not going to i'm not going to deny that and that has been the case since uh, long before i became a father um here's another here's another nice one that i like i'll just throw it in while we're while we're on the topic what's brown and sticky a stick boom boom i'm here all week uh so there you go dad jokes now today today i and this is me now i'm now i'm now i'm setting out on the uh on the tightrope now i'm stepping out on the high wire with my soft shoes those shoes that allow you the to, to, to fully flex the sole of your foot, to feel that contact. I'm stepping out over over the uh, the circus ring. That's far below. No safety net. Just gonna walk on out there and try to get to the other side. And that's actually the perfect lead-in to today's topic because I want to talk about bridges bridges and that's not my uh 
pet name for the actor Jeff Bridges or his brother uh, Bo or their father Lloyd. Um, interesting to see Lloyd Bridges as a young man, like as the young kind of punk, the young hothead punk cowboy in High Noon, which is Fred Zinneman, isn't it? That's going back a while now. I think High Noon, is it 51? I'm not sure. That's the the great black and white western where Gary Cooper's stoic and stoic sheriff knows there are bad men coming to town gunning for him. Some guy he put in prison has got out and is coming looking for revenge. And uh, Gary Cooper's character has the whole day to kind of wait for the train to come in uh, and to seek help from the locals who one after the other turn him down and go no and he's just got married i think if i remember this correctly i haven't watched it recently but he's just got married to a very young and beautiful grace kelly who is her character in the movie is she a quaker and therefore a pacifist so she's saying just leave just leave leave the townsfolk just go and they do actually they do actually set out on that journey and then he turns back and goes no i can't i've got to i've got to face this but Lloyd Bridges, father of Jeff and Bo, he's like, I think he's the deputy. Um, but it's just interesting to think like he, yeah, he was playing a young punk, a young kind of attitudinal punk cowboy way back when, long before, uh, long before a young Jeff Bridges was essaying similar kind of roles in his early career. Um, and now... Jeff Bridges is, uh, you know, he's a grand old dog. I don't know what age he is. Has he cracked 70 yet? Certainly, he was in a movie a few years ago, the name of which is going to escape me. Oh, dear, oh, dear. What's the name of that movie? A real good modern, uh, modern Western, basically. And he's a, I think he's a Texan um, peacekeeper, sheriff, and he's trying to track down these bank robbers. And the bank robbers are played by Chris Pine and Ben Foster as brothers who, yeah, they're trying to rob banks to pay off their, uh, to pay off their mortgage. Their, their house has been repossessed or is being, being threatened, with, um, threatened with repossession. And yeah. They're trying to to pay it off. It's it's, it's it's actually it's a great show. What the hell is the name of that movie? Oh man, it's gonna drive me mad. Let me see. Let me see. Ding dong dong. Written by. <laughs> written by another name. I can't remember. This is this is the price you pay for zero research. The price you pay for shooting from the hip. But the point I was gonna make was Jeff Bridges in that movie is um and he looked he you know who he looked like he looked like um he looked like chris christopherson now if you think about that i mean jeff bridges was uh very much not a chris christopherson lookalike but suddenly cropping up in this movie from a few years ago and i am on the verge now of naming that movie um 
he really was he was a bit of a dead ringer for Chris Christopherson I thought hell or high water and it's from five years ago hell or high water and um, that movie was written by the same guy who wrote Sicario um, Taylor Sheridan yeah Taylor Sheridan was the writer who wrote Sicario um, and David McKenzie was the director but yeah Jeff suddenly in that movie rocks up looking very grizzled um, yeah so there you go evolution family family evolution Lloyd Lloyd didn't really age that way um, he turned up in the airplane movies in the 70s then he, he, he would have been he would have been younger than Jeff is now okay total tangent uh, so that was from I'm going from one bridges to other bridges actual bridges and the tightrope the high wire act crossing from one place to another like that French street performer who walked across the Twin Towers back in the day sort of a sort of an extraordinary act of ego a flex uh, as they would say in uh, the popular term of the moment what a flex I can't remember that guy's name. We had a couple of movies about him a few years ago, didn't we? Um, yes. The Bridge. How to get from one side to another. And we get the expression, build a bridge and get over it. And that is usually dispensed in a dismissive, mocking way. Someone who can't let go of an issue or something that's bothering them, some gripe that is tormenting them, and they're told in very stark terms, build a bridge and get over it. Now, that's not what bridges symbolize to me. Me, in my little idealistic way, my idealistic leaning, bridges to me <laughs> represent something altogether more hopeful and optimistic and conciliatory a bridge to get you over something difficult a bridge to bring to bring you to bring people together uh, to get from one place to another to help you reach something um so if it was me i'd be like build a bridge and come towards me my friend and this is the contradiction. It's not like I'm out there ever, ever, ever saying a stranger is just a friend you haven't met yet. There's not one bit of me that believes that. <laughs> but bridges have always sort of captivated me somewhat. Now, I'm not a bridge nerd. Uh, I'm not going to start, you know, dropping names of designers, engineers, architects, builders, uh, I don't even have a long list of my favourite bridges in the world. It's not that type of interest. Um, you know, if, if you were to tell me, oh, well, you know, the Golden Gate Bridge took so many years to build and this many, you know, guys died building it or the Brooklyn Bridge is this or, you know, whatever, you know, the, all, you know, all the bridges down the Liffey River in Dublin. Uh, I couldn't name all of them, I'll tell you that for a start. I can name quite a few of them, but not all of them. And I've crossed quite a few of them over the years. But 
it's not that for me the the, the you know the the, his, the history of the building of a bridge the the history of its design the history of the the overcoming of engineering obstacles um regardless of the the scale of the bridge i you know i i can i can admire that i can go wow you know like any great feat of architecture or building you can you can quantify it and be impressed this many man hours this much steel this much concrete uh this much money this much time um all of that you can go okay that's that's you know quite interesting but ultimately to me being honest there's no mystery there's no mystery in that story and i'm not going to sit down and watch a documentary about that kind of thing where i'm interested in bridges i suppose it's just it's just an instant aesthetic and emotional response and so visually i find them very pleasing most of the time and they can be quite surprising uh, depending on where you find them like in the bathroom no there's no bridge in my bathroom um i had some i had some something pop into my head then about like dental devices or dental uh you know the structures one might put in one's mouth to like, like a brace isn't there a bridge isn't that something you can have in your teeth in some in some dental construction in that case there might have been a bridge in your bathroom if that's where you left that kind of thing uh but no bridges to me have always been they've always sparked some idealistic tremor um of, of recognition or, or or stimulus in me and that is really you know where i go in my mind um my my wife would probably love to tell you the story of how the first well first and only time we were in san francisco we went there for a holiday in 2008 and spent a lovely week or week and a half with old friends there and we went to walk across the golden gate bridge and and i just vanished (laughs) it wasn't a it wasn't a moment we shared because I just walked on ahead just taking photographs and marvelling at this amazing bridge. Um, so there you go. I, that, that, that seems to always come up any time the, uh, the San Francisco holiday gets mentioned. There he went with his camera. Snap, snap, snap. Uh, but yeah, bridges. I think they... You know, sim- symbolically... I was just thinking about it earlier before uh, before I started recording. If we go back to that idea of a bridge is helping you get over something, then I start to think about it and, and I start to, to to place it into you know into a into a wellness context, and I think just you know just take a moment there and think about the areas of activity and the areas of interest in your life. And imagine a bridge leading from you to that area, leading from you to that, excuse me, to that, uh, to that discipline, to that area of activity, to that group of people, to that uh, that area of expression, to that area of career, of work, of sport, uh, to you know, to to the to the most to you know to to the strongest 
our most meaningful our most fulfilling relationships in your in your life and then ask yourself why did you build a bridge to those areas why did you build a bridge to those people why did you build a bridge to that sport or that activity or that interest what is it that led you there what is it that and, and here's the point like here's 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 the kind of the undercurrent of wellness or uh, or the undercurrent of personal uh you know fortitude or personal edification personal rebuilding what did you transcend or traverse or get over or what did you wish to get over to get to that place so I was thinking to just to give you like an example of what I'm talking about if I think that karate karate primarily and tai chi secondarily some other smatterings of exposure to other martial arts over the years um, if that's been a big part of my life and a big part of my personal regime and personal wellness and part of different you know very very a very key part of certain communities and certain individuals that i've been involved with for almost 30 years now if i visualize that in the way i'm describing and go okay so i built a bridge to karate or i built a bridge out of karate from karate um what was i trying to get over and so you know i can say and i'm, I'm sure i've referred to this uh, in previous episodes where i've t- talked a bit about my karate experiences or my karate life or my um you know or, or, or my karate sort of philosophy but fundamentally i probably was building a bridge to get over fear and i certainly and i, I don't know i don't I don't think I'm particularly exceptional in this way. Uh, I was certainly afraid of, of bullies when I was a kid. And I wasn't. I, I, had, I had skirmishes, let's call them. Brief exposure to bullies. Low-level stuff. Nothing too crazy. I never felt, oh my God, I'm a bullied kid. I was always lucky. I had friends. And for me, and I've observed this as a teacher as well over the years, you just need one. You just need one pal. That's it. That's insulation. One friend is sufficient. Two, three, you're absolutely laughing. But one buddy, one pal, that's all you need. Someone that you go, I've got your back. Uh, you can have a laugh. It, you know, it, it's a validation, isn't it? And I suppose that's why bullies are very good at sniffing out, uh, you know, kids who are, are lonely, uh, kids who, are, who have difficulty making friends, um, kids who, you know, perhaps or social anxiety you know who knows i mean there's there could be a million different reasons why a young person um isolates themselves or feels unable to connect with others and you know certainly when i was growing up you didn't have the we didn't have the sort of the conversations or the research perhaps or the sort of the the ready access to the the full spectrum of diagnoses of and again i struggle to find the right vocabulary here but the you know diagnoses of different you know brain orientations um from whatever if we're talking about 
the autistic spectrum and things like autism or Asperger's or, you know, whatever. And then you have, of course, ADHD and things like that. Those, you know, whether or not those, I'm presuming those terms existed, but they weren't kind of part of the, the, the common parlance. They weren't just readily accessible everyday language, which in many ways I feel they have become now. Um, so without it's, it's interesting that if you think about it, if we, you know, if we, if we don't have the language, that's, that's when we struggle to identify. When we don't have the language, we struggle to differentiate and it, it means that there's a lack of sophistication in how we see people. There's a lack of sophistication uh, and nuance in how we understand people. And if we stay in this area for a little while longer and think about the, the conversations that have been running for a few years now around gender and identity connected to gender and how you'll start, I've started to see in recent times you know, people will sign off on their emails or they'll have it as part of their social media profiles, their chosen pronouns. Uh, so, you know, she, her, hers, or uh, he, his, his, that kind of thing. Just to clarify, yeah, I identify as my, you know, as my, as my birth gender, as my biological gender. Uh, some people will put the, the they uh, they theirs, they their theirs. So that is definitely an area of the language opens up and certainly many people have felt quite threatened by that. It threatens a certain conservative orthodoxy of language use and of thinking around gender, the, the sort of binary heteronormative frame um, and then when you introduce, oh, well, this is my son, Jeffrey, but he identifies as a girl and um, he wants to become a Jessica, not a Jeffrey, and would prefer to be referred to as she. And, you know, that that is confronting territory for some people. But personally, I welcome it. Uh, I welcome people being given freedom to identify themselves how they wish to express themselves um, and to be understood in a way of their choosing. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm not quite so far down the road to be, you know, rushing in legislation um, to, you know, to make things, um, I suppose, you know, legislation that would make this a requirement or a legislation that would mean you could be punished for failing to you know to acknowledge this i think it's an evolution i think it's a cultural evolution as well as a so it's a social cultural revolution or evolution and it's a linguistic evolution as well and evolution isn't an overnight thing so you know, Charles Darwin wasn't on that island in the Galapagos going, today I've seen an animal do this. Oh, one day later, you know, uh, overnight adaptation. Now now this bird has an extra beak or, you know, longer wings or whatever. It's, it's, it's over huge periods of time that these adaptations uh, happen. And, 
I mean, it's interesting to think that maybe bigger picture, you know, the idea that, you know, the patience of, um, <laughs> you know, the, the, the time frame of evolution and the time frame of evolutionary adaptation and how we can look at that through a historic lens or a biological lens and go, oh, yeah, of course, that would take hundreds or thousands of years. Um, but in this digital age and the age of instant online gratification for any number of needs and incessant consumption of content, incessant, incessant, the, the, you know, the, the, the illusion of incessant connection um, via the various uh, social media spaces, platforms, you, you know, the 24-7 the, the deluge of notification. Uh, if you're someone who wishes to spend all your time on the internet, all your time online, devouring every which thing. And certainly this seems to have been a, uh, a phenomenon that has only been exacerbated by the pandemic. And certainly anecdotally talking to some friends um, uh, around the area of vaccination um, and anti the anti-vax position. There's a lot of people who have, in my opinion, um, gotten themselves really freaked out and had their fears massively uh, exacerbated by the amount of content they've been consuming online. I had an old friend of mine tell me she'd be sitting up at night till four in the morning, just sitting up online, consuming masses of uh, opinion around the sort of anti-vax position. And that's where she's come down. And, you know, that's a choice. I'm not judging her for it. Um, but yeah, the, 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 you know, the point I'm trying to make is have we become so accustomed to instant opinion and instant feedback and instant answers and instant response that the whole idea of something happening gradually, carefully, organically, has that just become anathema to us? Is that just something that is really alien to us? So with the idea of the the pronouns debate and gender and identity um are we are we just like so impatient that we can't accommodate the thinking space the reflecting space the psychological and emotional space to let things happen um now i know some schools uh have I, 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 I'm sure, yeah, I definitely, I read an article at some point in the last year, since I've been back in Ireland, a school in Greystones, I think, in, in County Wicklow, was saying from this academic year, so starting September, just gone, that boy students could wear the female uniform if they chose to, without any problem, and likewise for the female students, if they wanted to wear the, the male version of the school uniform, they could. And, you know, I, I just thought, fantastic. I know I, I just thought yeah great just just start normalizing the choice just start you know the more we can kind of get into normalizing that expression our understanding of identity and gender I think 
the more we can just get beyond it to a point of you're just a human. You're a human with with needs. You're a human with the same needs as anybody else. Uh, the same, you know, emotional needs, the same physical needs, and how you identify um, is 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 you know it's your affair. And unless we're talking about actual you know physical uh transitioning that's that's a that's a larger uh more complicated uh, conversation of course um but i don't know i just think you know if, if we go back to the idea of bridges as far as i'm concerned like that school they were you know building a bridge towards inclusivity uh building the bridge towards tolerance and building a bridge towards um you know the 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 normalization of of those things the normalization of of tolerance and inclusivity and non-judgment and you're not going to tell me that that's bad you're not going to tell me that those are bad things for for kids um and let's remind ourselves that you know you're if you're a kid today you've got access to everything i don't care what you do as a parent um i don't care what parental controls um, you impose uh, in your own home or who you let have devices or not there's there's only so much you can do kids can get access to whatever the hell they want in terms of if, they've, if they're curious about something or if they want access to you know videos information whatever about who they are or what they can be or what they aren't and what they shouldn't be i mean again i'm you know i'm not i'm just throwing the should word in there to be devil's advocate the you know the online world is a whole other world um and that can be very scary terrain for concerned parents my own feeling is i mean my daughter's only eight so she's you know i tell you what she's doing did i mention this last week she likes to sit on youtube kids and watch people make things out of lego or one she was showing me the other day there was some young woman repairing uh repairing toys like soft toys and you know re repurposing them um or you know converting them into other animals and my my wife is very concerned that some of these videos my daughter looks at our daughter looks at uh involve product placement and of course there's like subliminal or maybe not so sub maybe just liminal I don't, I don't even know what liminal means. Doesn't liminal refer to spaces? Okay, I'm showing my, uh, again, my lack of research. But listen, it's off the cuff. I'm on, I'm on the high wire here, so I'm just shooting from the hip. Um, my wife would be concerned that there are subliminal or otherwise overt messages around consumerism and product placement and planting those very sinister seeds of uh consumption and desire for products um and i guess i'm a completely irresponsible father in that i'm like yeah i don't know i just kind of throw my eye over my daughter's shoulder and they kind of they seem innocuous enough but um we'll wait and see so i think what i was going to say is i think like my feeling is kids are very good at sort of I think they're very good at sort of self-policing and they're very good at 
they're much better than we think at seeing something for what it is and they're very good at I, I think they're very good at switching off from something that doesn't feel you know real or stops being fun um i think it's a pretty straightforward reaction now i know there are other things out there that are a bit more sinister and covert and manipulative uh or certainly i refer to something that i'd been put onto by one of my friends uh, several episodes ago but largely speaking i think kids you know you know they're you know speaking of evolution like kids adapt with the times so you know my daughter her mind isn't being blown by technology it's not being blown by the 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 things she's consuming online in a way that someone of my generation would have been so if you bump me back almost 40 years to when i was eight and someone dropped a load of devices you know smartphones and youtube and instagram and and tiktok uh and whatever else uh like even you know even video calling and and zoom and google meet or whatever i mean my head would have fallen off um it would have been more than my my little brain could have contained i'll tell you what i got for a present when i was eight um i there were friends visiting from dublin and there was a massive snow in i remember huge snowfall that was 80 winter of 82 here in ireland but we managed to get into the the local town and i was given a little tiny printing set so like a sheet two sheets of rubber letters that you'd have to kind of detach and then dip in your ink pad and then you could kind of print out sentences type out sentences that was that was the extent of the technology that was my technological revolution oh my god i don't have to use a pencil this is amazing i mean i remember i can still remember that feeling of like this is really cool stuff <laughs> now by the way my daughter also gets stuff like that and really likes it in fact in fact she got a lovely present in the post just yesterday from one of my aunts uh, a tie-dye kit <laughs> and i saw it come in i was like oh god <laughs> my daughter was delighted and she immediately sort of unpacked the box and you know laid it all out on the wrong table she has her own table but her table is covered in stuff so then she comes over to sort of the main uh you know the main whatever living room dining area table which is sort of designated for meals although i have one corner i have a little tiny workstation down one end of it but uh she just sprawled the lot out on that table and and proceeded to do her homework i was like what the hell you've got your own table that nobody else uses yeah but it's full of my stuff yeah we'll move your stuff and make some room this isn't how this is going to go down uh so little squabbles and i was trying not to get cranky but i don't think i succeeded so then she was annoyed with me for being annoyed with her and that's that's a funny dynamic isn't it i'm annoyed that you're annoyed what can we not talk about the thing that i was originally annoyed about no no don't be annoyed at me <laughs> anyway circular a bridge is more like a semicircle or an arc okay part of a circle so i'm just gonna yeah i'm just gonna you know wrench this back to the bridges the bridges concept le conseil du bridge what's bridge in french oh lord that's oh no i had it and it's gone 
the because there's there's French songs. There's that the bridge in Avignon, <laughs> and then there's the the French film, isn't it? Les enfants Les enfants du Paradis. No, is that what I'm thinking of? Do they hang around a bridge? Deary me. Now I'm feeling very ashamed because I've been I've been dabbling. I've been dabbling on social media with a bit of French again. I followed this great dude on Instagram who does these lovely, these lovely um, French pronunciation videos. And he looks like Viggo Mortensen, if you know that actor. He looks like Viggo Mortensen on heroin. So like a really, really skinny, emaciated version of Viggo Mortensen. Um, but he does these beautiful pronunciation videos and you can just see he's look he just he just seems like a natural um a natural teacher and he does this kind of sing-song thing um which is great and so i've been having a look at his little pronunciation videos and enjoying myself and of course the word i had it in my head and i dared not say it but it's pont <laughs> p-o-n-t pont pont d'avignon um yes so the bridge why what who when how the bridge to karate that i made and have sustained in my life i had the fear of bullies and so me embracing that idea as a i think i was 19 yeah 19 when i started karate i was in university and i'd always been interested in it and of course like anyone who grew up in the in the 80s you know 70s 80s the that revolution that happened um in sort of western culture via martial arts movies and particularly via bruce lee that had so many of us engaged in the, the fantasy of becoming martial arts masters, black belts in one form or another. Uh, so, you know, karate and kung fu were probably the most obvious candidates. Um, and that led, you know, later on to people like probably Chuck Norris, who Chuck Norris is a, a Shotokan karate guy like me. Um, my thumbs aren't quite as big, nor my chin quite so large um but you know could be superficial similarities there otherwise um i'm not a born again christian uh which i think chuck is born again or not he is a christian a man of faith i put my faith in karate um so that you know that was that's an example of i built the bridge partially because i was always interested or something about kind of the esoteric um eastern mysticism aspect of the martial artist you know that that control that mastery of emotion somewhat enigmatic the hidden power all of that was very appealing from a sort of conceptual point of view but of course there was a practical aspect to it going yeah it'd be nice not to feel afraid um or be nice to go if i do feel afraid at least i know i've got some skills that may may help me so in a way that was a negotiation of you know with, with fear and then Coming to karate, I just found it absolutely addictive and seductive, and I just loved doing it. So that became the allure, the doing of it, um, and just practicing karate was its own reward. Um, now, I'm going to go for another bridge, and this bridge takes me to the water. Now, normally bridges take you over water, 
um, not into it, but I also had a fear of water when I was a kid. I was terrified of drowning and I have, I have, um, I have mentioned this before, I'm sure. I certainly wrote about it in one of my, um, one of my blog posts. Um, in fact, will I dare, will I dare bring that up? I might, bear with me, I might bring that up now in a second. But I had a fear of water, so it's funny that over the years then I became, um, I became very interested in, in sea swimming um open water swimming and that has become you know that has become a staple in my life and i just you know i reflected on it a couple of months ago and it's going right this is gas like a a kid who was terrified of bullies terrified of bullies and being beaten up and pushed around and made feel afraid and also a guy who was terrified of drowning and terrified of the water and now fundamentally um i'm someone who has really in the most unimaginative way countered those fears by uh becoming um a sort of a lifelong practitioner of karate at a reasonably high level and also someone who has become a very uh competent um competent i mean that was uh <laughs> i'm damning myself with faint praise but that is the truth. I am a competent sea swimmer. I'm not a legend. I'm not a superstar. I'm not, you know, doing any massive distances. But uh, I can get into that water in pretty rough conditions at very low temperatures. And, you know, and cope. And not only cope, but thrive to a certain extent. And certainly really enjoy it. Um, so there is my... There are two examples of my bridges. And where else? Where else would you build a bridge? So you think about the, you know, you know, think about areas where you've been proactive, you know, the type of career you have pursued. You know, why? Why that career? Why did you go there? What was, what was the bridge that took you there? What were you trying to overcome? What were you trying to step over? Um, so... I mean, if, if I go back to my desire, if I go back to my desire to act, I think that that it was the desire to connect and the desire to express something. And then the desire of that expression to be received well. Now, in a sort of a psychology 101 and way and in and ticking one of the biggest cliches of all in relation to actors, that is, in the most basic terms, a quest for love and a quest for affirmation, uh, a quest to be embraced. Um, and the, <laughs> I suppose, the, the expression aspect of it, that's the desire to sort of, to reach in and present what's inside and go look this is what's in me do you like it and you know if you can't see if you can't instantly draw a parallel to the podcast and the type of stuff that i've written on the on the blog for the last several years then you're a bit tick <laughs> 
I mean, it is what it is. It, and I suppose what I've what I've cultivated in myself or what I've learned over the uh, the last, you know, these years of sort of, sort of putting myself in the public space um, in, in, in a more, you know, without the veil, like, in, you know, with acting, of course, you have a character. The character gives you a license, the costume, the the the, the script, the lines, the, you know, the mask, the makeup, you know, I'm sorry, I said mask already, but you know what I mean? The, that is a, you know, that's the cover. That the, but the, the cover is like a, it's like a, it's like a portal through which you can enter and then access permission to present human experience and you know th- that then becomes that then becomes a discussion about well what is the actor doing is the, what is the actor is the is the actor always drawing on their own experience is the actor just is it pure artifice is it pure fabrication uh, what is that facility to enter another person to enter another character and is the the is the is the level of success connected to the person like the personal and the 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 true lived experience or the true emotional life of the actor and then their ability to channel that into the character is that the success or is it is it pure technique? Is it pure methodology? Um, certainly the actors I find myself attracted to are the ones who make that emotional truth ring true with the greatest ease. And that, like, and it's funny, like someone like, say, Daniel Day-Lewis, who I'm a huge fan of and I've always been a great admirer of his work, I find him just a captivating performer. And even though he goes full method um and i don't know to what extent he still does that but historically you know that's what he would do total immersion in the character um but it's when i actually find him really attractive as an actor when he's accessing something very light and easy and warm um which i don't know if you necessarily associate those qualities with daniel day lewis because often he brings an intensity to his roles but there's one of my favorite sort of romantic scenes of his is quite an quite an innocuous scene from Jim Sheridan's The Boxer and he's just walking down the street in Belfast with his with an old flame played by Emily Watson and they're just having a walk and a chat and they're flirting and that's it and he just there's something it just felt so real and effortless and natural and organic and honest um absolutely lovely really <laughs> fantastic um but anyway i'm 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 off the track of course um but that then to, you know to go back again like this this bridge i've you know i've committed to this bridge to you know to 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 to, to make a bridge into this area of uh of what of personal revelation i suppose and not revelation like oh my god i'm so amazing i've discovered this about myself let me tell you all about it but more you know opening up the you know lifting lifting the the bonnet or you know you know the hood uh, in american english um to look into the engine and go well this is it like and 
I find that personally, I've I've continued to find it very um, beneficial, sometimes verging on therapeutic, sometimes cathartic. Uh, but yeah, it, it, like I wouldn't do it if I didn't enjoy doing it. I wouldn't do it if I didn't think it was uh, potentially of use to other people. And certainly the, the response to that type of, you know, th- th- that area of exploration, the response that I've had over the years has been consistently positive from the blog to to now the kind of you know the extension of the blog that exists here in podcast form um so yeah um and also i suppose the you know the 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 final one i'll talk about is look at the relationships that you take most from in your life and those bridges then are often bridges away from relationships that haven't been good or away from relationships that have caused you pain or away from relationships that have negated you or um i mean yeah, yeah, you can go you can go the full whammy and go like relationships that have traumatized you um of course they can be extremely shaping relationships but then Hopefully, if you extricate yourself from those relationships, you can build successful relationships elsewhere. So then, it, you know, then it becomes like a, it's like a network of bridges, isn't it? Um, I mean, I feel very lucky that I've managed to cultivate friendships over the years in, in different areas of, of life that are of interest to me and where I've found um, expression, where I found validation, where I found doors opening. So whether that's from the acting world or from the world of education, the world of karate, the world of sport, um, whatever, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, they, they've they all been very sort of sustaining, enriching uh, experiences and dynamics and communities and networks in my life and continue to be so, which is, you know, which is great. Um so anyway, look, it's it's not it's not an overly sophisticated idea at all. Um, I the Brooklyn the Brooklyn Bridge is it the Brooklyn Bridge? It is the Brooklyn Bridge. That's coming into my head. I know a couple of trips to New York. I've definitely walked across that bridge a few times and enjoyed uh, taking photographs. And again, some of these bridges are iconic from from movies. Um, and that I'm going to go to movies. I'm going to go to movies for the last ten minutes of this, but. Also, I was going to say, think about this. Wherever there's train tracks and rivers, that's where you're going to find bridges. And, you know, close to where we live, there is a train track that runs um, close. You know, it, it, it crosses a couple of local rivers at different points, runs through great wooded areas. And... Um, you know it can be a pleasure to walk through these wooded areas these you know old kind of forests and come across you know a little railway bridge that you're walking under um and yeah that they're the they're the moments i kind of i like bridges the most even though that's there's nothing particularly idealistic about that kind of bridge it's purely functional but again aesthetically there's something nice there's something nice about walking under a bridge and there's something nice about walking across a bridge and I was going to fire in just quickly before I finish up with the movies. I was going to fire in a super quick anecdote, 
where my idealism <laughs> was kind of held up to me. Uh, my slightly kind of romantic way of looking at things was held up to me uh, in a mirror. I was in France years ago, um, mid-90s, maybe a little bit later, 97. Um, and myself and a friend, uh, an old hippie friend, we were working on a building site in Paris. My brother had been living in Paris for, had been living in France for a few years at that stage. And he was on a job. He was able to get us a bit of laboring work on it with this company that he was working for. And I remember sitting around one morning having a chat with one of the other guys who was working with us. He was French Portuguese, I think, was his background. Uh, he's passed away subsequently in a bike crash, sadly. He was quite a colourful, very friendly character. And himself and myself and my hippie pal, we were having a chat with him. And for some reason, we got taught, we, we were talking about trees. And I was trying to find a translation for for basically for like Christmas trees or fir trees. And I was, you know, frantically sort of trying to, in, in my, you know, my, my bit of French, I was going, you know, uh, uh, toujours, toujours vert, toujours vert. And I was, you know, which basically I was trying to, or yeah, yeah, always green. I was trying to, I was trying to come up with a, a literal translation of evergreen. <laughs> and so the, the other guy, the French Portuguese guy, was kind of looking at me sort of baffled. I mean, I had a little bit of French. I did leave in Cirque French, so it was okay. I knew I wasn't, you know, I was able to communicate something effectively. But um, my my hippie friend who, um, you know, classic, classic hippie, a compulsive button pusher. So not much of the pacifist in him. And that, that hasn't changed in 50 years. But uh, he was there, oh, for Christ's sake. <laughs> Just tell him conifers. And as soon as he said conifers, the French, the French Portuguese guy, like, ah, conifers. <laughs> and got it instantly. Um so I was just being slagged off for, oh, evergreen. Um, yeah. So anyway, there you go. If you can, you know, again, I'm, I'm hoping you can see the connection. Ah, bridges. So, you know, they bring us together. Um, but yeah. Okay. So look at bridges in the movies. Bridges in the movies for the last, uh, for the last 10 minutes of this. I'm going to do a quick whirlwind and just talk about some movies. Bridges in movies are very often used in action sequences. Okay um and that can be you know that can be really really effective uh and let's i'll just go with three obvious ones okay and, and that these are these aren't the scenes that actually really um you know turn my cogs or rev my engine although there was an amazing there's an amazing action sequence in the border crossing bridge in uh sicario isn't that isn't that a bridge in that where the the government agents are aware that like a an attack is coming from a kind of a cartel group on this bridge it's bumper to bumper brilliantly staged action scene from again from the it's Denis Villeneuve again who I was talking about a couple of weeks ago the director of Blade Runner Blade Runner 2049 um another one that comes to mind is Harrison Ford in Indiana Jones and the the Temple of Doom the famous rope bridge scene where he's on the rope bridge, he's got these uh, sort of um, oh, what's that word? Uh, you know, they're 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 the sort of the, the the Sikh henchmen of this cult leader who's kind of ripping out people's hearts in the heart of this mountain, and they're coming up at Indy from both sides of the rope bridge over this huge ravine at the bottom of which are vicious um, crocodiles or alligators. I'm not sure which, and. 
Indy's in the middle of the bridge and he has his little sidekick. Um, I know he was Data in The Goonies. Isn't that what was his name? I can't remember the actor's name. Korean-American, perhaps. But um, Indy's kind of, yeah, little sidekick helper in the Indiana Jones. And Indiana Jones decides to get out his sword. Not a euphemism. And cut the bridge. So they all fall. Very dramatic. And particularly if you're a kid watching that, it was like... This was high, high drama and incredibly fearless, heroic stuff. Uh, great scene, very effective. Um, of course, you have the bridge over the River Kwai. Now, that's where the whole, you know, the, the story is revolving around, you know, the building and then subsequent kind of demolition of this bridge and the kind of the act of rebellion by, you know, POWs and um, very, you know, one of those... I suppose like the, the the I suppose it's all a metaphor that one for the sort of the futility of war, you know, building something to be destroyed, but t- taking pride in the building of it, um, again trying to occupy this place of neutrality and peacekeeping as a POW, um, but then also wanting to not facilitate the the extension of the you know the army of power, the military of power, um, and that again it's it's a movie I, I i've never actually i've never actually watched the full thing i've never watched the full thing i've only ever seen kind of clips and passages of it over the years and i've never been especially drawn to go and watch the whole thing uh so anyway you've got that thing another one another bit of an action one um or certainly high drama high stakes bridge scene the bridge crossing the railway bridge crossing in stand by me Rob Reiner's movie from I don't know eighty what eighty seven is it a bit a bit older than that even with a, that young cast the young River Phoenix Corey Feldman Will Wheaton and what's his name Jerry O'Connor as the as the chubby pal who just wants to go across the bridge on his hands and knees because he's so afraid but then a train comes along and it's like oh my god is the train going to get them really well done really well shot very thrilling young your young pals in uh, in 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 danger as we saw them because that was sort of my age group you're looking at them and you identified with them and remember it was Kiefer Sutherland was the bad guy in that wasn't he the nasty tough local kid um, we all hated him Grr, Kiefer turned out to be the president didn't he did he become the president did that happen was he the president in something he certainly tried to protect the president in 24 what? and then there was another one. Oh yeah he, there was that other show I didn't watch it he became the uh, default president because of some national crisis anyway whatever um but there's you know there's loads there'll be loads more there'll be loads more and as i say they're not the scenes i'm interested in bridges in movies have often been seen they've often been used for scenes for key moments in the plot and often nighttime but not always. Um, and I think very memorable. Well, certainly to me, they stick in my mind. And I'm just going to mention maybe four or five today, and then I'm going to wrap it up. So one of the first ones that occurred to me was uh, an early scene, if not if not the opening scene of John Huston's The Misfits. So it's black and white, it's daytime, and it's Marilyn Monroe and Thelma Ritter. And... 
I can't remember if Thelma Ritter also, has also been through the experience, but Marilyn Monroe has just finalised her divorce and they come out to this bridge out, you know, outside the, you know, the civic office where they made the divorce final and they throw their wedding rings off the bridge, which I, I've always enjoyed that scene any time I've seen it. And just that sort of, yeah, the sort of devil may care, the sort of the, the liberating gesture of pff, you throw it off a bridge. It's it's it, that's a very um, it's a very resonant, definitive gesture. The ring goes in the river, poof, and you walk away. You walk away. You, walk, you know the bridge is keeping you safe, and you're getting rid of something. You're throwing away part of your life. Lovely, love it. So the misfits. Again, I'm struggling to remember the year. For some reason, I want to give it the same year as High Noon. Would that be right? Could they have been made in the same year? High Noon and The Misfits? I'm not sure. I think The Misfits was 50s, early 50s as well. Um, love that movie. And it, I think it would. It, it probably got dogged a little bit by the, the story or the, the, the perception that Marilyn Monroe's... Um, you know the difficulty she was having and the sort of delays she was causing in the shooting because of her inability to kind of stay focused contributed to her co-star Clark Gable's end that he wasn't in great health it was his last movie and um I think he he died at the end of at the end of shooting and some people felt well the stress that Marilyn Monroe would have caused him certainly didn't help uh, Montgomery Clift and Eli Wallach also in that and that great scene at the end uh, where those divorcees have fallen in with Clark Gable and uh, Eli Wallach, Montgomery Clift, and they're, they're breaking stallions out on the desert in this stark black and white photography. Really great, great cinema, great moment in cinema. Um, another one I've always liked is the meeting of Sean Connery's beat cop and Kevin Costner's Elliot Ness in Brian De Palma's The Untouchables. So it's early enough in the movie. Elliot Ness has just had a humiliating defeat at the hands of the mafia. He thought he was gonna expose uh, a bootlegging operation and crack open cases of uh, illegal whiskey, but instead it was like parasols. And you have the laughing stock of the gangsters and of the police force. And he's strolling along the bridge at night feeling sorry for himself and has an encounter with, you know, Sean Connery's grizzled, experienced cop who tells him how it is. And that's a nighttime scene, Chicago Bridge. And, you know, it's a, it's a key moment where, you know, Sean Connery's going, you know, you gotta, you gotta do this a different way. Um, and builds that sort of, you know, builds the audience's trust and affection for this partnership around which they'll build their crime-breaking team and make, spoiler alert, Sean Connery's death all the more poignant later on in the film. So that's another good one. Um, I'm going to return to Blade Runner 2049. There's a nice little bridge scene in that towards uh, the latter part of the movie where Brian, Brian? Brian Gosling, Ryan's brother, where Ryan Gosling is walking across a bridge in the city at night. And his pleasure model, Joy, played by Anna de Armas, I couldn't get her name right the other week, the Cuban actress, Cuban-American, I guess now, but the Cuban. She's up on this huge billboard, a huge kind of hologrammatic billboard, and she reaches down from the billboard to sort of flirt with him. And 
it's it's a nice telling moment in the movie because we're being shown the the generic nature of what she is that she's just a product now we've only seen her in the personalized version in ryan gosling's apartment where we build a relationship with her and enjoy vicariously his relationship with her and build our affection for her but then later in the movie you go oh yeah she's just you know she you know she's like the latest iphone uh, an iphone that can reach down and you know tickle you under the chin but that's also a nice movie also at night time and also an echo of a, a billboard from the earlier 1982 movie. Um, another another bridge scene is the one from Saturday Night Fever. So a nighttime New York bridge scene. It's not the Brooklyn Bridge, it's the Verrazano something or other bridge. And one of John Travolta's crew is having a bit of a moment He's kind of the runt of the litter, a bit nervy, a bit emotional. And he's out doing a bit of a dance on the sort of, uh, you know, he's jumped over the sort of side of the bridge to get onto the, you know, the, the, the superstructure of the bridge. And he's way up above the river. It's nighttime. They've been in a scrap already. Um, everyone's a bit, you know, revved up. And he's messing to get a bit of attention. And then there's just that moment where he kind of starts to break down and he's having a real kind of moment of crisis and uh, off he goes, a sort of a, a slip. Um, you know, maybe he, he wanted to go. He, he doesn't, it, it, it's, yeah, he falls to his death in the river and it's a, you know, I don't know. I always forget, or I used to, I don't anymore, but I used to forget that Saturday Night Fever, it's a far kind of darker, heavier, grittier movie than one might think from seeing the promotional images of John Travolta in his white disco suit. Um, so, yeah. But again, the bridge as... You know, what does the bridge represent there? It's... Um, I don't know. It's, it's, is, is it, the, is it the, the bridge to, to highlight, you know, wrong and right side of the tracks? Um, is it to... Is, was it the bridge to, to show us that all of those young people were walking their own high wire um of you know of identity of happiness of fulfillment um you know in that sort of fractious 70s new york um before gentrification was a thing um where it was a pretty could be a pretty brutal place um so that's one that's another one i like and i'm going to end i'm going to end with one of my favorites and that is the bridge scene in It's a Wonderful Life. Maybe I should save this for the Christmas episode. Uh, the bridge scene in a wonderful, It's a Wonderful Life where James Stewart's character has just hit his, hit his lowest ebb uh, and is absolutely, you know, flattened with his own feelings of, of failure and helplessness. And yeah decides to throw himself off the bridge it's a snowy stormy night snow you know whirling around and that's when that's when god that's when god that's when heaven intervenes and they send this uh kind of bumbling uh failed angel this apprentice angel angel who hasn't got his wings his name is clarence and he's sent to to point out to james stewart hey buddy don't do it you know things aren't as bad as just as, as they seem and proceeds to take james stewart on a a christmas carol-esque type view of his life to go look at what you know the good stuff you've done and 
let's have a look at what this place would look like if you actually went ahead and, and topped yourself. Um, brilliant. And uh, th- th- one of Frank Capra's great, great moments when he takes this, it, you know, this kind of, you know, I guess, middle American uh, small town, which we've seen in quite, you know, quite a bright, you know, bright light. And he removes this one character, this really significant good man who's done so many good things for so many self, so so selflessly for so many people. And Capra does this sequence where he goes, this is what this town would look like if you hadn't been born or if you, you know, if you'd never existed. And it's just this hellish vision of, you know, social and community collapse and the reign of venality. And it really punches hard in what many people, again, just think, oh, it's such a, just a sentimental movie, a sentimental Christmas movie, but it's brilliant. And that key moment of plot turn happens on the bridge, nighttime in the snow, James Stewart just absolutely in despair. But um, it's, 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 it's the kick that takes you into, into the kind of the salvation. Um, and it's great. It's absolutely beautiful. I love it. Okay, so there you go. I um I have gone a little bit longer than I thought I would, and I probably haven't mentioned some of the things I wanted to, but um, yeah, I uh, I did it. I did it. I crossed the bridge. I got to the far side of the uh, the podcast shore, and now here I am, safely, safely, in the the area where I can press stop. So as ever, thank you so much for listening. Uh, really appreciate you giving me your time. Really appreciate you. Give me any love you can out there on social media or just amongst your friends. Give me a recommend. Send a bit of traffic my way. I would really love that. And of course, you can throw me some financial support if that's what you're feeling compelled to do via the supporter link, which you'll find in the description or the Patreon link. So that's, um, yeah, patreon.com forward slash the clear out. Okay, you take care of yourselves. Take it easy. And have a think about those bridges or where you want to build a bridge to and what you're trying to get over. Okay, but um, they're all good. Love those bridges. Okay, mind yourself. Take care. Lots of love. All the best. Bye-bye.